Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. We have been, throughout the fall, we've been setting through this book of Nehemiah. Um, and we, we missed last week because of our missions conference, and so I want to give you a little recap. Let's kind of catch up to where we've gone so far so that we know, where we're, know what we're doing here. But first, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, it's our prayer this morning that our hearts will be attuned to what it is that you are saying to us. God, may we be challenged, may we grow, may we be comforted, may we hear your word and respond to it. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is in Babylon, and he's serving the, the, the king in Babylon. He's, he's the cupbearer to the king. And he, and he hears word, he, word comes to him that the walls of Jerusalem have crumbled. The walls of Jerusalem are, are torn down, and so all of the people of Jerusalem are in danger of the surrounding tribes, and, and this breaks his heart. And so it weighs on him, and, and for months he is concerned about this, for months he's, he's praying about this, and finally the moment comes where he is before the king, and the king says, what, what is weighing on you, Nehemiah? And he tells him, and the king says, go, with my blessing, go uh, rebuild the wall. And so he goes. In chapter 2, he goes, and uh, he's, he's sent with a letter. He inspects the wall. And then chapter 3, we have this account of all the work that's happening along the wall, all around the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 4, there's opposition to the building. The, the neighboring countries that see what is happening are not happy that Jerusalem is now being defended. That Jerusalem's walls are being rebuilt. And so they begin to oppose it and they begin to threaten attacks. And so we see in chapter 4 that they, they begin, the, the work is stopping because the people are afraid of their, for their lives. And so they begin to, to work, but as they work, they have their, their weapons alongside of them. And, and we're told that some worked while others stood watch, stood guard, so that the work could continue day, uh, day in and day out. Chapter 5, there's, there's issues with, with the poor people among them not having enough. And so Nehemiah addresses this issue. And then we come to chapter 6. Um, but one of the things that you might have been thinking as we're going through Nehemiah is that, that the book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And I'm here to tell you today, this is not what the book of Nehemiah is about. Um, you may have thought that because everything we've been talking about is the rebuilding of the wall, but uh, what you'll see today, if you turn to the end of chapter 6, I'll just kind of spoiler alert here, um, chapter 6, verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Uh, that's it. The, the wall's done. But we got chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13 to go. So if you thought that Nehemiah was about, just about rebuilding the wall, then I'm here to tell you that's not true. But they finished the wall today, as, as, um, as I told you, and we're going to look at how 
not really how this happened. Really, only in chapter 3 are we told how the wall was built. The rest of it is just what's happening around it, the story that's happening around it, and the, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and this restoration of the people coming back from exile. Chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh no. <laughs> I know you were all thinking that, so I thought I'd say it. Uh, Come, let us meet together on one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time Sanballat said, sent his aid to me with, this, with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and the son of, yep, uh, who was shut in his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because some people are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should someone like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets had been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Uh, first thing I want to talk about here is verse 9. Um, this isn't really what we're going to focus on this morning, but I don't know about you, but this prayer that Nehemiah prays uh, is one that I pray often. Strengthen my hands. Uh, they are trying to intimidate him. They are trying to uh, bring fear. They are trying to make him afraid. Um, and, and fear is something that, that is very real in my life and I assume in your life as well. Uh, we, and, and sometimes it's not fear of, you know, major calamities coming, but fear of failure, fear of 
not not quite doing enough. Fear of of not quite being able to measure up. Fear of rejection. Um, and this fear that Nehemiah experiences here uh, for him would be paralyzing. They're trying to make him afraid to get him to stop doing the work. Uh, and the fear that we often experience as we, as we jump into this passage and the work that God has called us to, the fear often prevents us from doing the work that God has called us to. And so we come up with excuses. We find ways to run away. We find ways to hide. We find ways to do, uh, busy ourselves with something else. And, and so just at the very beginning, I want us to have that conversation right out. Strengthen my hands, Lord. Uh, now, strengthen my hands. When we, when we feel that fear, when we feel that intimidation, strengthen my hands. But let's, let's move through this letter. Now, let's move through this, this chapter. Um, we talked about in chapter 4 the opposition that was coming. The opposition that was coming through, uh, through attacks. And so that they needed to bring their swords. They needed to defend themselves. They needed to fight. The, the countries around Tobiah, Sambalat, are trying to stop the work on the wall. And so they threatened military force. And sometimes the threats and attacks that we experience uh, from our adversary, from Satan, come in physical force, come in, in things that try to just, it's, it's blatant, it's something that is opposing what God is trying to do. But sometimes, sometimes it's much more subtle. And this, this is the tactic that Tobiah and Sanballat try in chapter 6. And so look at, they say, come, let us meet together in one of the villages, the plain of Ono. So come, like, Stop, stop doing the work and come over here. This is important. We need, we need to meet with you. We need to come and we need to have this conversation. Maybe we, maybe we could have some dialogue around the work that you're doing and, and spend some time figuring out how can we, how can we you know, live, live together in, in this and you're doing your work, but we want to... So come, come meet with us over here. And, and look, at, I, love, I love Nehemiah's response here. This has been... As, as I've known that I'm preaching on this passage, this has been the verse that has come to me again and again and again. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And sometimes the attacks of our adversaries, sometimes the attacks of Satan are not blatant outright attacks, but they just try to divert us a little bit. They just try to distract us a little bit from what it is that God has called us to do, from who it is that God has called us to be. And so this is an important thing that we need to be doing, and I should be investing my time in this. Uh, but is it the great work? Is it what God has called us to do and be in the world? And there are all sorts of important conversations and things that we could be doing and, and work that could be happening. But is this, is this what God has for us? And I want us to talk today really about that. Who has God called us to be? What is it that God has called us to do and be in his world? 
And so I want us to, to, to move through three, three areas. First, we're going to talk about the church. And when I say the church, I mean capital C, the church, the body of Christ, everybody that is a believer of the church. Next, we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about us as a community. And then we're going to talk about the church. And we're going to talk about us as individuals, as a part of this community. What is it? And that one's going to be tricky because that one's going to, that one's really, um, each of us has our own unique gift and calling. But, so we're going to do that. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, and I understand that as as we talk about, okay, what is it that God has called the church to be and do? This is a very large topic. And so we probably won't be able to hit on everything, but I'm, I'm going to try my best to, to sort of broad brush stroke. Like, what are, the, what are the big ideas that when we say, because, because often what happens is when we want to be able to say, I'm carrying on a great work and I can't come down, but... When we examine our lives and we examine what we're doing, and I, and I know this is true for myself, I, I have to ask myself the question, am I really carrying on a great work? Or am I just sort of wasting my time? Am, am I distracted? Am I focusing on all these other things? What, what is it that God has called us to do? And so, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we jump down to verse 9, he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now there's a lot here. Um, and I think we could, we could take Romans 12 and say, okay, here's some of what God has called us to do. Here's some of what God has called us to be in our world. That our love must be sincere. That we should be humble. That we should be willing to associate with people who are lower than us. That we shouldn't repay evil with evil. That we should be, that we should be joyful 
in hope. And we should be patient in affliction. And we should practice hospitality. All of these things are part of what God has called us to do. But I, I, I started with verses 1 and 2 because verse 2, I think, is, is the key that, that points us towards the way in which we get distracted. The way in which the, the Sanballats and the Tobias of our world pull us away from, from these things that God has called us to. And so, in, chap- in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, uh, when I was in high school, this, this verse was told to me. High schoolers, have you guys heard this verse a lot? Yeah? And, and when, when you're in high school, this is, this, is how it was, I, this is how this verse was taught to me which I think is, is true, but it's, it's a small part of what the verse is. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Is If everyone else in your school is doing something, that doesn't mean that you have to do it. Uh, if everyone's jumping off a bridge, don't do it. You know, if Just because your friends want to get, your friends' parents let them get tattoos doesn't mean you get to have a tattoo. Or just because your friends are going out to that party and making and doing drugs or drinking, that, that doesn't mean you do it. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Is that, is that what you guys get? Yeah. Which is true, right? But, but it's very limited. How, how many of you, this is uh, adults as well, how many of you, this is sort of how you've seen this verse? Yeah? Um, which, which, the problem with that is that Paul wasn't writing to a youth group. I mean, there, was, there were probably youth in there. But, but sometimes we, when, we, when we look at this idea and we, we look at this conversations about conformity, we, we apply this specifically to our junior high and our high schoolers who are really dealing with the pressure of conforming to the world. Whereas those of us who are adults and, and much more mature now don't have that pressure. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but what, is he, what is he saying? Is he talking about just like, just, you know, don't, don't go out and go party with your friends? No, he's saying don't conform your minds, your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes to the way that our world works. And so when he gives this list of love must be sincere, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another, be, be humble, practice hospitality, have joy, uh, don't overcome evil with evil. These are the sort of things that our world would not understand. And he's saying, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Do this instead. Live your lives in this way instead of the way that our world lives their lives. And the problem is, uh, as, as a church um, oftentimes we get distracted by the way that our world chooses to engage issues and we conform to the pattern of our world. Um, I'm on Facebook. Who's, who's on, anybody on Facebook? You can admit it. Pastor Jim isn't on Facebook, but his wife is, and he always comes and says, he, he always gives me a hard time, like, I'm not on Facebook. But then he comes and tells me things that are on Facebook because his wife... So it's like, well, you're, you're sort of on it, Jim. Come on. Um, so be careful, because Pastor Jim, if you're friends with Teresa, Pastor Jim knows what you're posting on Facebook. Um, but, but here's... 
and I, I wasn't sure I was going to bring this up, but let's just do it because this is timely. Um, anybody have any idea what's happening in the next few weeks? There's an election happening, right? If you're on, if you're on Facebook, you're very aware that there's an election coming up, right? And even if you're not, if you watch the news, if you, if you have conversations, you, uh, the, the political dialogue is, is everywhere, right? It seems like you can't get away from it. Uh, you turn on the TV, it's, it's there. Um, and, and what's fascinating, I have conversations with people like, oh, I really need to get home to watch the debates tonight. No, you don't. It's going to be repeated on every news station. For, like, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it broken down. Like, you're going to hear every single thing about the debates. So you don't need to, like, schedule that time for that. You'll get it. Um, but here, here's my point. The, the way that our church, and, and when I say our church, I, I really mean the church, uh, the church in America, engages the political discussions often conforms to the pattern of our world. Um, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And oftentimes, the way that we have these conversations, these conversations, um, these arguments, uh, discussions, debates about who is right and who is wrong, uh, does not fit what Paul is talking about here. There's no love in that conversation. There's no love when we make that post, when we write that comment on someone's on someone's thing. When we when we when we hear it, even if even if we're in the privacy of our own home and we just exclaim something at the T V there's no love in that. And oftentimes we we look at the people we disagree with, and we say, that's evil, that's wrong, that's, that's not something we should be a part of. And rather than overcoming evil with good, we respond with anger and hatred and bitterness uh, and violence in our words. So when Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this is what he's talking about. Do we as Christians engage our world in a way that is loving, that is, that, is, that is always loving, even when it's people we disagree with? Or do we fall into the same arguments, discussions, uh, hatred, bitterness, creating enemies as everyone else? And I bring this up because this is exactly what our adversary, what the what Satan, what what the Tobias and the Sanballat of of our world want. They want to get us sidetracked from what it is that God has called us to do and be in the world, and get us concerned 
about all the things that are out there. And all of a sudden, the work, the great work, comes to a halt. And so when we, when we hear those discussions, when my, my hope, and this is my hope for me too, because I, I, I'm not, I try to stay out of writing comments, but I'm thinking it, I, I'm feeling it. Uh, my hope um, is that as we move through these next few weeks, and whatever outcome over the next few weeks happens, that we as a church, um, hopefully as a, as a church, the larger church, can say, we are carrying on a great work. And we're not coming down for that. We're doing the work. So, um, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's do this. And we're going to stay in Ephesians for a while as we, as we transition here. Ephesians chapter 6. This, this, I think, is a good reminder. Verse 12, Paul says this. Well, let's just start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And too often, we make the struggle against flesh and blood. And Paul's reminder is, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers of this dark world. It's against the devil. It's against Satan and the ways that he wants to sidetrack us and turn us off. So, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But let's talk, let's talk a little bit about our church. Um, how many of you have a bulletin this morning? Uh, three, three, three things are printed every week on the front of your bulletin. As we talk about what is it that God has called us, our church, this church, Berean Bible Church, to be, um, I want to draw your attention to these three things. Uh, these are not things I came up with. They were here long before I got here, and uh, Lord willing, they will be here long after I'm gone. Grounded in God's Word. Focused on Christ. Sharing God's love. Uh, I assume that a number of years ago, our elders or, or a committee sat down together and, and had this conversation what is it that God has called us, Berean Bible Church, to be here in Shoreline? What is it that we are supposed to be doing? Of all the things that we do, um, what is it that we uniquely are called to do? And these are the three things that they came up with. That we are grounded in God's Word. And this is our hope, that, that each and everything that we do is grounded in Scripture. It comes from what God wants from us, and we, we discover that through his word. We discover that through reading scripture. So grounded in God's word, focused on Christ, bringing ourselves more in line to, to, to be like him, to fix our eyes on him, to, to live in such a way that we become more like him, more like him uh, with the way that we use our body, the way that we conduct our relationships, the way that we use our money, the way that we raise our children, the way that we interact with our spouse, uh, 
with the, with the concern that we have for our reputation, the way that we use this space, the way that we use any space is, is more like the way that he would want for us and the way that we use our time. All of these things become focused on Christ, that we become more like him. And then finally, sharing God's love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the very end of it, he says, be, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But this is how we become more like Christ. This is how we share God's love, that we share his love in the way that Christ shared his love with us, that we forgive in the way that Christ has forgiven us. And then finally, let's talk about us, the church, individuals. Uh, in the Romans passage, in the, in the section we didn't read, um, Paul talks about how each one of us is created with unique abilities, unique gifts, that God has gifted each one of us to serve him in, in unique ways. And that we are to use those gifts uh, to his glory with whatever it is that, whoever it is that we are whatever it is that he has created us to do. And, and so as we have this discussion, this is really something that, that you know better than I do about what it is that God has called you to do. What it is that God has called you to be, who it is that he's called you to be in the world. And so I just want to, oppo- I just want to pose these questions for you. As you think about if, if you were to be able to say, I am doing a great work, I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot come down, what is that project that God has called you to do? And, and then what is it that is distracting you? What is it that the Tobiah and the Sambalots of our world are saying, hey, come, come over here, spend your time with this rather than what God has called you to do? What is wasting your time? What is the flesh and blood that you have chosen to struggle against instead of the spiritual forces of this world? Because God, um, listen, are you still in Ephesians? We're still in Ephesians. I'm still in Ephesians. Um, look, at, look at chapter 2. I mean, there's, there's so much here, again, that we could talk about of, of what is it that God has called us to do. Um, what is it that God, the, re, the real question is, what is it that God is doing in the world? What is his desire for, for his people, for his world? Uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope 
and without God in the world. So Paul is writing to, to Gentiles who, who are never part of Israel, never part of, of, what, um, of God's plan of salvation. And he says, you were excluded, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And in chapter 3 Paul goes on again to talk about that, that here is what Christ was doing and here is what we are proclaiming to you that God is reconciling the world to himself. That God desires to reconcile all people who don't know him. He's, he, we, talked in, we talked in our Sunday school class about God is pursuing his creation, longing for its redemption. And oftentimes the way that we get distracted the ways that we uh, interact with our world, the ways that we conform to the world, are, th- are just subtle little things that, you know, if we, if we look at it, we say, oh, well, maybe that's not so bad. But it, it tears us away from proclaiming this message of reconciliation. It tears us away from the ways that we can preach peace to those who are far away that they too can have peace with God. And the way that we respond to our world, we, the, the way that we uh, enter those conversations, there's no peace in that. And, and they don't, they don't want to hear, oh, by the way, after I've just, you know, ripped you apart, by the way, do you know that God loves you? <laughs> no, they don't want to hear that. And they're, they're not going to believe it. And so the way, the way that we live in this world, I think, I think it matters so much. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Because in conforming to the pattern of the world, we, we come down off the wall and we're pulled away from the work that needs to be done. And so... May we say to the, to the Sanballats and the Tobias of our world, I'm sorry, you can come four, five, six, seven hundred times, but I am carrying on a great work and I can't come down. God, our prayer this morning is for vision to see and to be a part of the work that you are doing. Uh, we, as the larger church, we as this church, Brian Bible Church, and individuals as a part of this church, we want to carry on your work. And so it's our prayer that you 
uh, will strengthen our hands. That you will fix our eyes, that you will give us a vision to see the world as you see it. And that we may engage it uh, as you would have us to do so. We pray this in your name. Amen. Berean Bible Church has been Berean Bible Church for just over 48 years. Uh, going on 50 pretty soon. Uh, and it's it's my prayer for us. I 48 years from now, a lot of us won't be around. Um, you guys will be leading and directing this church. Uh, and as our prayer, my prayer for us, 48 years, 100 years from now, if the Lord uh, doesn't come before then, that we have the vision to be grounded in God's word, focused on Christ and sharing his love. And that we can say we are doing a great work and we can't come down.